Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to bluenile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at bluenile.com for $50 off your purchase. bluenile.com code LISTEN. On today's episode, Rove and I get our nerd on discussing the season opener for Marvel's new TV series, Loki. And my mate Garth Jones joins me to chat about Mad Max 3 Beyond Thunderdome. My name is Justin Hamilton, and I do believe we need another hero here on Big Squid. Welcome back to the podcast. It is very nice to have your company today as my old pal Garth Jones continues his look at the world of osploitation through his segment, Pass the Amel. We're discussing the third Mad Max movie, Beyond Thunderdome, and whether it still fits in the parameters of the osploitation genre, or if it is an entirely different beast. If you haven't seen it, spoiler alert, it's an entirely different beast, but it still kind of has that DNA. It's a fascinating film. Then Rove joins me in person for the first time in months. We're no longer doing it via the World Wide Web. We're actually opposite each other. It's exciting stuff, and he's helping me dig into the world of Loki. Suffice to say, we are much more jazzed for this time-jumping tale than we were for the last Marvel series. This one feels like it's right in our wheelhouse. There's a lot of boxes ticked. We were pretty pumped for this one. We've had some new sign-ups to our private Facebook page and our listenership is increasing nicely. I'm guessing a large part of that is because of your kind words and your encouragement to like-minded people to come and give us a listen. So I just wanted to take uh, this moment to say thank you very much for that. Word of mouth is always the best form of advertising and I don't want you to think I take it for granted. Uh, If you haven't joined our page, please come over and put in a request. Anyone can join. There are some fun people over there having a good time discussing all sorts of art and entertainment and some little things pop up that are just for that group. So if you'd like to come over, we'd love to hear your thoughts on what you're enjoying as well. A lot to do in this podcast, so let's 
go straight to Garth Jones and his segment. The world had been through a trial by fire, and only the greatest warriors and their deadliest enemies emerged from the flames. Who are you? Nobody. I'm still. I can feel it. The dice are rolling. <laughs> he was the one they called mad. But he's just a raggedy man. But to those whose lives hung in the balance... Where's the waiting ones? Waiting for what? Waiting for you. He was the one they called hero. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying times here. Now, Mad Max is back in Beyond Thunderdome. either ever seen this film or I don't remember it at all. And I'm leaning more towards having never actually seen it in the first place. And I'm just going to throw it out there, especially after the first two. What is going on with this movie? Uh, I will say that I've, I saw it for the first time maybe five or six years ago and it was in the state that I saw it the second time for this. Um, and I've watched it three times now. Um, and that was incredibly drunk the first time. Didn't make it past Barter. Didn't make it past Barter Town. Uh, the second time, I sort of, I, I think I made it to the kids uh, in the uh, sort of the uh, Blue Lagoon situation. And yeah, this time I watched it in one and a half speed, but I got through it and actually really enjoyed it. <laughs> so it's it's a little bit fascinating because. As everyone knows with this new segment where we're talking about osploitation movies and and the genre in general and is this an osploitation movie or does it is it more like a like a Spielberg version of a Mad Max film with some osploitation DNA like what where does this fit in with the the whole oeuvre Well having I did a did the did the reading um and I didn't know that it, uh, I'd never noticed the co-direction either to begin with. Uh, George Miller directs with George O'Gilvy, uh, who had apparently been around in uh, the film scene since the mid 1940s. Oh, right. So he would have been well into his 60s, maybe at that point. And he just finished uh, directing episodes of Bodyline with the writer of this of, of Thunderdome as well, Terry Hayes, I think his name is. And he went on to direct the Shirley with Brian Brown. Um, so I guess yeah, that is yeah. They've obviously, uh, and I mean, there are so many beats in Thunderdome as well that strike you as Indiana Jones esque, Spielberg esque. Uh, there's that. There's the scene where he runs away from uh, all the uh, kids that are chasing him. That's like almost a direct lift of Han Solo running away from stormtroopers. Um, so. And yeah, I mean, it does feel a bit like Return of the Jedi too, <laughs> right? In the sense that he meets the you know the uh, enclave of sort of primitives who go on to help him sort of defeat the bad guy. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot more Spielberg in there. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? But it still kind of has characters that feel like they wouldn't be out of place in the first two films. Like it's got yeah, it's still got that amazing world, and it's another reference uh, that sort of rang for me was uh, Terry Gilliam and things like Time Bandits. Oh, yeah. That sort of aesthetic uh, where they've sort of taken 
road warrior and then extrapolated another 20 years or so. Yeah. And sort of imagined that world without oil and sort of made it even, you know, even more primitive in many ways. It's funny, isn't it? Like, we're seeing this in the Marvel Universe at the moment where some of the worst movies are somehow becoming important plot-wise to ongoing stories. So, uh, you know, like, uh, I don't know if you saw the first episode of Loki, but it has DNA in the second Thor film as, you know, important plot points. In a way, it kind of makes you not have to watch those movies because you get exactly what you need in that part. And you go, oh, that must have happened. That explains everything. Thank goodness I never need to watch that film again. And this film is fascinating because it feels, in some ways, completely out of place amongst the Mad Max storyline, but also seems like an important stepping stone between the second and the fourth film. Yes, I mean, it does bridge a few gaps, uh, even in that sort of not particularly uh, continuity-based timeline they've got happening. Um, you can imagine that um, Fury Road and a Morton Joe and his, you know, set-up is, uh, yeah, another 15 years down the line. They'll probably make Max, like, 60 or something, wouldn't it? But, yeah, sort of evolving the... Yeah, it does, it does definitely evolve the, uh, the aesthetic. Yeah, and the concepts behind it. I mean, the methane farming is pretty hilarious. Yeah, like <laughs> so the pig ships, great. Um, I mean, the fact that their cars—you know—they've taken away all the automotive stuff to a large degree because cars don't work or they <laughs> need to be a lot more basic. They've gone down to, you know, homemade fuel <laughs> and those sorts of things. So it's sort of taken all the taken away all the tropes and reimagined them a bit more. But it's, I, yeah, I don't know if it's Ozploitation or if it's more just post-apocalyptic. Um, and a post-apocalyptic narrative at that point. Yeah, like it does kind of feel like it uh, has stepped into a slightly different genre and then, but there, once again, there's still that kind of DNA there. It, yeah, absolutely. It's fascinating. It has a pretty good review ranking and I know... Not to read, but loved it. Like, loved it. Four stars from Rog. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. And I know people like, like, you know, our friend Ben Elwood, when I brought up, uh, that we were going to be talking about this film, and he was like, "Oh, that's my favourite." And you, and you, really like that's your favourite? But I think I'm taking a guess. If this was the first Mad Max film you saw, it's going to probably be your favourite, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's it's right in the sort of sweet spot with you know the Goonies and all that sort of stuff. Stand by me, I guess. You know, all the all that sort of stuff in the mid '80s, Explorers. Um, how, how do you think those kids felt if they saw the, the third one first and went, you know what, I'll go back and watch the first two. It's like, holy shit. I'll admit that I saw Predator and Robocop before I saw, saw the Goonies, so that probably sort of coloured my <laughs> <laughs> ability to cope with that sort of shit as well. Yeah, suddenly uh, everything's making uh, yeah. a lot of sense in your journey. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> it is funny, the, there is a lack of kind of car chasing in it, and I understand it from a story mechanics point of view, but... It also is part of what makes it feel so strange when you're watching it. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you sort of his car's pulled by camels at the start, uh, loses it. Um, not Gyro Captain turns up. <laughs> well, that was going to be my next question. Like, what is going on with Bruce Spence? Is he like the Stan Lee of the Mad Max world? <laughs> does he show up in the fourth one? I don't, I don't know. I didn't I, notice him. But is he a, still alive? I guess he is. That's a that's a missed opportunity. Keep talking. I'll, mm. I'll look that up for us. <laughs> no worries. But yeah, yeah um, Bruce Spence. You know, there's like replacement feral kid. Um, 
you know, there's a range of, you know, the Master Blaster, you know, from a, from afar looks like humongous. Um, uh, on a tangent, I really love Angry Anderson in this. Uh, <laughs> yes. I love, well, I don't, you know, I love Angry as a concept, not necessarily as, a, you know, his politics or anything, but, like, the uh, idea of um, turning him, him into Wiley Coyote... And even this, you know, you know, angling it with the sound effects. Everyone else has the boings and the, you know, <laughs> Max is the only one that doesn't have any sort of um, cartoonish sound effects associated with him at the end. Yeah, it's, it's everyone else is getting whacked with frying pans and <laughs> right, <laughs> whacked in the nuts or like you know explodes and then gets stuck to the front of a train. It's so bizarre, and it, I, I think I think at first I was a bit like, this is. This is so bizarre. I can't quite get my head around it. I can't freeze right find here. my way into the uh, the enjoyment of it. But the uh, also, I I think about half an hour in, I gave myself over to it, and I was like, "Oh well, let's just go with this." And then I really started to enjoy it. And Tina Turner's having a really good time. She's great. <laughs> How old is she there? Like, she's got to be, what? Oh, God, I'd have to guess. She'd have to have been in her late 30s, I guess. Oh. If she was, like, a teenage star in the 60s. Yeah, right. Hang on. That is, um, like, it's so hard to I mean, to yeah, I, was, I read a few interviews with her where she talked about, you know, she'd been offered things like um, The Colour Purple, which is obviously the Spielberg film, but she chose Mad Max because she didn't want to go down the dramatic path after all her experiences with Ike. Right. So she was looking for something that was more fantastical. Yeah. So I just looked up her age. I'm glad you're sitting down. She was 46. There? Yes. (laughs) Holy shit. (laughs) She looks amazing. All right, we'll get some of that. Yeah. Yeah. She's 81 now. Okay. Shit. Okay. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, I know. And she looks like, she looks amazing. Like she looks like she's been carved out of granite. And, yeah, it's another one of those sort of, you know... I mean, it's the first sort of uh, female character with a name, I think, almost. Oh, yeah. In the series at that point. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, she disappears for a big chunk of it. But, yeah, she's definitely got presence. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You always feel like she's there somewhere in the in the film. Uh, what do you reckon her reasoning is at the end? Does she suddenly have respect for Max and lets him go? Or... Has she had enough damage done that she kind of thinks he's going out into the desert? You know what he can have? A long, slow, painful death. Like, what do you think it is? I couldn't quite work it out. Well, they tried that on, on him a couple of times and he's survived. But um, yeah. one, one theory I read was that they reshot it because no one wanted to see her get killed. Oh, right. Because it's Tina Turner. So it was a, yeah, Tina Turner, yeah. So it was a test audience thing where they've decided that they would end it on a more kid friendly note, I guess, with everyone saying cheers, see you later, <laughs> rather than her being, you know, mangled in another car crash or, you know, hit by the plane or whatever. <laughs> I mean, even Angry gets to flip the bird from, like, <laughs> the wreckage of... <laughs> it's like the end of Terminator 2, only... <laughs> like, slightly ruder. It's, it's for the ruder kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> rather, rather than the affirmation. I think, yeah, one child gets killed in a sandpit, maybe, and... <laughs> That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Just, just show you know, the, you know, like the uh, yeah, the the, hot, the never-ending story with the horse. You've got to have that sort of traumatic childhood yeah. sort of memory. That's funny. There are really interesting choices in the film as well, where it is kiddie friendly, 
and it was also kind of dark. And it's also got this character who is been through the ringer in two films and is properly haunted. But it also has Angry Anderson with sound effects flipping the bird. But one of the kind of really fascinating scenes in the movie for me is when he's fighting Blaster and he suddenly realises, oh, this this guy's mentally challenged and he can't kill him. And I think that's a really interesting Although choice. that guy's been pretty um, motivated with his sort of violence to that point, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And yeah, he does have that sort of quandary, doesn't he? Yeah, well, I, I guess it's a kind of really important scene for Max because it is essentially a point where he's showing that he's still kind of human, isn't he? He's like, he's not completely desolate or anything like that. But then he turns around and punches a teenage girl in the face. Well, and... right. <laughs> like it's, it's a massive contradiction. It's, like, it's just like, oh, hang on a minute. <laughs> yeah. You, you start to wonder, hang on. When was Mel improvising in this film with his poor George behavior? Miller says he's a lovely bloke. He just had a problem with the booze. There's nothing to do with any other. <laughs> and he also apparently, Mel also apparently um, was getting upset that there were no churches that did the Latin mass when they were shooting right. um, in those locations. Right. So he's obviously a very... <laughs> Very devout man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And all the things that come with that. Mate, it's one of the reasons I don't tour as much anymore because I can't get enough Latin in uh, middle Australia for... On the roadshow, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to find my solace. Uh, Fucking Cougar P- <laughs> Come on, mate. Get your Latin going. Yeah. So you could do a Zoom one. Zoom Latin mass now. <laughs> oh, that would... You know what? There would yeah. probably be something quite uh, satisfying about I'm that sure, on a Sunday I'm morning. Sure you can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So uh, I did a little bit of research as well. You're probably already across this because you're more across these things uh, than me. But the uh, there was a scene cut from the finished movie where Max dreams of his dead wife, son and goose. And he wakes crying, realising he's become uh, what he's hated. Uh, do you think you would have liked to have seen this in the finished film? Do you think that has a place in this film? or It sort of happens in Fury Road, doesn't it? A little bit. You get all like those he flashes, has a, has don't the you? Vision. Yeah, the flashes at the start of it when he's going through, getting away from the Warboys the first time. Um, I don't know. The tone of this one probably would have been a bit... Uh, it would have stood out a fair bit. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's... Yeah, the, the lash, there's, you know, the lashings of darkness. And I was going to say, I do wonder what I would have thought as a seven or eight-year-old when... Um, Max is brought to Auntie Entity and there's a blind saxophonist uh, <laughs> in his nappy. Right. Um, <laughs> in, like, you know, sort of that, that, and the production design there too was something I thought of. Uh, was uh, just, again, on the tangent, was like, yeah, that's sort of like the, uh, it mirrors the opera house a little bit. Right. Like this sort of re- rebuilding of their, uh, you know, their civilization. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I don't want to see that. No, no. not in this film. Not in this <laughs> no. film. It, it's already no. a crazy dark film, and it, it sort of does, in a way, need to exist outside of the the continuity to a certain extent. Also, it it kind of gives him a happy ending. Like, you kind of get the impression that he's found purpose and he's going to go back and lead those kids. So yeah. once you get to Fury Road, it's like, oh, well, like, did those kids grow up and now they didn't need him, or did he get the wanderlust? Well, yeah, because they all got to rebuild sydney um yeah got the lights on <laughs> yeah all that sydney stuff's <laughs> confronting 
Well, <laughs> it would be now, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, it, it pretty much looked like the bushfires, didn't it? Yeah. It, I was just about to say, that's what it was reminding yeah. me of. And it's like, Jesus, this has taken on a whole new resonance. <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, it's a uh, really interesting choices all the way through it. Uh, you know, as you already mentioned, there's the co-director situation because uh, George Miller lost interest yes. in the film after his friend and producer Byron Kennedy died. And I, I wonder... I couldn't find anything online, but was there a different plan for the film before that happened? Or was it always I going in that direction? Know. No. I honestly don't know. I did read that um, they didn't split up scenes. Like, a lot of people sort of theorised that George Ogilvy filmed the scenes with the children. Right. But they actually, they, they just shared, they co-directed. It wasn't actually anyone dividing up scenes. So there's no real tonal shift. It's both of them sort of doing the work, I guess, maybe just as a sort of support thing. Yeah, right. Uh, it's it's um, interesting. It's like when you do the uh, deep dive on uh, Kubrick. Spielberg's AI and I've read interviews with Spielberg where he's really frustrated because people say oh this bit's obviously Steven Spielberg and he'd be like no that was that was Kubrick's that was all Kubrick yeah. stuff there and then oh well, all this darker stuff here is obviously Kubrick and he's like no no that's I added that yeah, yeah. and it's uh, you, you'll just never know really do you Stephen, see, he can do it. Stephen can be dark. He can be dark. Yeah, he can be dark. Uh, but it's uh, it's interesting to sort of see his uh, influence on this. It's like um, it's a little bit like you know when you go to a bookstore in the children's section and you find like a. a, 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 a kids like a really young kids version of Avengers Infinity War <laughs> and it's like <laughs> it's like baby cat baby iron man shaking their fists at baby thanos i've got a pretty good um uh working knowledge of kids literature now or um and there's a series called uh, little people big ideas or something like that and it's it's fascinating i mean they it goes through a a range of influential people, but some of the choices and the way they present them, um, you know, there's Coco Chanel, no mention of Nazism in it. Right. Uh, you know, there's, I saw the other day, there's a Steve Jobs one where, you know, it, it takes out all the, obviously it just presents, uh, he was a little boy who dreamed of making technology that everyone could enjoy and definitely didn't have any, you know, Chinese factories where people were trying to, you know, top themselves, but they'd put nets in to ensure they still made your iPhone. Um, I want a Jeff Bezos one. Oh, I might. That'd be a nice one. He, a, a little boy with his robot dog. Yeah, you wouldn't have to do much with his caricature. To, you know. Just want to go to space. Oh, the Bill Gates one would be fun too. Is there a Bill Gates one? I haven't seen, but I'd like to see uh, his friend Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah. Um, they're enjoying pl plane rides with all their friends. Yeah. yeah just going to islands, mate. That's what, that's what you do. It's the same. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it is the same thing. It's, it's totally, um, they've totally whitewashed, I guess, or just bowdlerized these you know, these narratives, much like you'd say with something like Infinity War. Uh, I don't think Thunderdome's as intense, intensely... I, yeah, like I said, I did enjoy it. I just think it's, it sticks out a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, and, I mean, it was the only PG-rated one, too. Yes. Yes. Well, that's what it... Like, you know, we talked before about how it was ages before I could see... Uh, the second movie, uh, because but I was well across it because of all the advertising in the newspaper as a kid, and I was like, I was fascinated by it because those characters, like 
just seeing pictures of Humongous and Wes, they look like they could be fighting Kiss in Attack of the Killer Phantoms, you know. And, and Why didn't they? It's <laughs> a really good question. But it is one of those things where then when I finally saw the movie, I was like, oh, right, now I understand why I can't see this. And I'd, I'd love to know, especially if anyone who's listening saw the third one first and then went back yeah. and checked out the other films, what kind of psychic backlash did you have watching Absolutely, that? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so good. Um, I love the quote from Pig Killer. Remember, no matter where you go, there you are. Just <laughs> lots of great little moments like that. I love the quote from Pig Killer. Remember, no matter where you go, there you are. And uh, there, there's all lots of kind of good throwaway lines. Were there any other lines that stood out to you or any scenes in particular that were favourites? It's um, interesting with the uh, the Thunderdome itself, how much, I mean, how much the film is sort of based around mythology and, you know, what a post everything society would look like and how they you know the kids frame their narratives through the tv screen they you know when they tell um, max about captain walker yeah and thunderdome's basically you know a reimagined game show that gave us two men enter one man leaves and that's the first time anyone actually said that apparently <laughs> yeah that was the the genesis of that term which is everywhere, you know, in, in popular culture now. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big fan of the uh, the sports, American sports program, PTI, pardon the interruption, with Tony Kornheiser and Mike Wilbon, and they have a segment, and for the last few weeks, uh, Kornheiser has been doing variations of that. You know, two men enter, one man leaves, goes back to his attic, doesn't see anyone, <laughs> you know, he just keeps doing <laughs> yeah, these. Yeah. But it all comes from that. I didn't realise that was the first time that had kind of been used. No, same. But, yeah, they just had a little bit of a read-up on it. And, yeah, like all those, you know, the wheel. Obviously, Roger Ebert was very excited about the... I mean, he was probably a little bit over the top about the elasticised, um, you know, dome <laughs> sort of cage fight. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it was pretty innovative, but, yeah, faintly ridic- ridiculous. But uh... Oh, like, insane. Like, flying around with a fucking chainsaw and people just handing yeah. you weapons is... <laughs> like, I really didn't understand why more people weren't being accidentally murdered as that was all going on. Absolutely, but... yeah. Just heads falling off, but, you know, kids film. Yeah, see, that's it exactly. And, uh, you know, we don't need another hero. Great, Tina Turner, fucking building it out. That was was before she did the NRL song as well, wasn't it? Simply the best, yeah. Simply the best, yeah. I wonder if that brings her into it. Do you know what I mean? Like, she's out here, she's doing that, and then they suddenly think, ah, we should get Tina Turner. And Angry Anderson goes, fuck it, I'm going to do Bound for Glory. And oh, my God. The whole genre is bought. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and to the rest of the world, we say, uh, we're sorry. We apologise. Get, get on YouTube, check them out. <laughs> I'll vouch for Bound for Glory especially. Yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> check out the uh, AFL driving around the oval <laughs> rendition. That's uh, it's up. In the old, uh, in the Batmobile, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's... Uh, Watch, watch that and meatloaf back to back and realise why sport should stick to sport and stay well out of the world of entertainment. That's almost Super Bowl standard, isn't it? Uh, almost. Almost. <laughs> yeah. It's up there with Beyonce Prince. We can do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, any last thoughts on the film? Is there anything that I've missed that uh, you wanted to discuss? Um, no, I think we've covered it pretty well there. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not... It's not it's not as full of iconic moments, but it does have its, you know, that definitely has high points. Yeah. Uh, there's some great cinematography. Um, 
Dean Samuels back again from memory. Uh, so, yeah, there's some, some great composition of a lot of those shots. I mean, the soundtrack, I guess, is a big change from the previous two and how it, how they go forward with Fury Road. You know, there's a lot more sax overall in this one, the Maurice Jar stuff. But, yeah, it's definitely an oddity of its time. Um, <laughs> plenty of solid mullets, um, plenty of female wrestlers, all the sort of uh, the Joel Schumacher aesthetic sort of coming through as well. Yeah, it, uh, it really is a, a, a kind of a good timepiece of uh, a certain era. It is, yeah. It's 1986 in a in a nutshell, I think. Yeah, and if they, you know, after Fury Road, there's the talk about uh, there's a spin-off idea for Charlize Theron's character, isn't there? Uh, there maybe. Well, I don't. Yeah, I mean, I read an interview with Chris Hemsworth saying that he's honoured to take on the role of Mad Max, um, which, you know, obviously, like the timeline's not a thousand percent. You know, set in stone or anything, but that is a prequel with Anya Taylor Joy as Furiosa. So she had she hadn't met Max until then, had she? In Fury Road, so so I yeah, who knows what's going yeah, no on? No idea. Yeah, what's? But anyway, I trust him. I trust George. I would have preferred uh, Joel Edgerton, to be honest. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Chris is a yeah. I, I maybe he's got it wrong. Um, who knows? Who knows? Who knows what's going on? Maybe we'll get a Captain Walker spin-off about when the plane goes down and he has to lead the kids to safety. Everyone wants to explain every little part of a, of a mythology now, so why not give a Captain something, Walker well, movie? On that note, something I read um, yesterday was... Re- I haven't seen it, but um, The Postman, the Kevin Costner film, is set... It has a sort of vaguely similar setup and... Um, there's a sort of, uh, you know, fan, not theory so much, just, just generally points out that you can watch it as what, ha- what happened in America. Oh, right. At the same point as Mad Max is going on, or thereabouts, because there's a sort of similar in- implication that there's been a war between Iran and um, Saudi Arabia, <clears throat> and that's where the conflict kicked off, and that's, and that's you can sort of watch it as sort of an addition to the Mad Max universe in an unofficial way. So I might have to do that. But yeah, worth a lot, worth a watch. Uh, definitely, uh, I've come around on it. And none, none of it was shot in Broken Hill. So there you go. <laughs> Cooper Pedy in the Blue Mountains. <laughs> it's barely an Ozploitation film, but it's still worthwhile checking in and, and it gets us to Fury Road. So, uh, Which and was shot in Namibia. <laughs> <laughs> right. But... You know, it's uh, it's all part of the, the the kind of journey in that. Well, and I'm looking forward to talking about that. But I'm also can't believe you've actually just piqued interest in checking out the Postman. So there you go. Yep, you pulled off a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> Not uh, Waterworld, though. Not Waterworld. <laughs> no, no, no. I think we'll be fine without Waterworld. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Garth. No worries. Thank you. saw in the Marvel movie Avengers Infinity War the end of the Loki saga as he was murdered by Thanos while attempting to save his brother Thor. Then in Avengers Endgame, we watched as the Avengers went back in time to steal the Tesseract, but in the process, Loki got his hands on that Infinity Stone and managed to escape. This new Marvel series is all about the consequences of that moment as we discover what happened to Loki after he disappeared. trust me. Loki, I've studied almost every moment of your entire life. You've literally stabbed people in the back like 50 times. 
never do it again. We protect the proper flow of time. The timekeepers have built quite the circus. And I see the clowns are playing their parts to perfection. Big metaphor guy. I love it. Makes you sound super smart. I am smart. I know. Okay. Okay. I know what this place is. You picked up the Tesseract, breaking reality. I want you to help us fix it. Why me? I need your unique Loki perspective. Do I get a weapon? Nah. Glorious. What a relief to actually be sitting opposite you with microphones now that we can talk properly about this because I saw you last night and we had a bit on last night. Yeah. And we just had it, to give each other a knowing look. <laughs> we had to give each other and a say knowing so look. so much. It was so full on. And you uh, and your wife had just turned up and you were about to leave and then there was just this little burp at the moment of, oh, yeah, and what about this and what about this and what about this? And as Taz is leading you away. So what a relief to get to this it's point. It's like a little pressure cooker, an old school pressure cooker, and the little valve comes off the top just to let a little bit of the air out. And then I was like, okay, now I can just go and relax. Because I quite clearly felt I could say to you that I, I trust you enjoyed it. Yes. Even though I know that trust is for children and dogs. Right. According to the show. Right. But um, <laughs> it it was everything I had in, in broad strokes. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And everything I, the, the trailer and teasers had suggested it was going to be, it I feel delivered on. Yeah. So I was very happy in that regard. Yeah, no, I agree Before totally. Before we dig too deep into it. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. I completely agree. The trailer, you know, coming off the back of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which we were both a bit meh on, mm-hmm. to see this kind of live up to everything it promised to be was great. And it had so much heavy lifting going on because it had to explain the TVA, yep. had to explain how time travel works in this story and then it also had to redeem Loki really quickly because we'd already seen him be redeemed over the course of the movies but if you take him from that exact moment yes this is this is shit Loki this is still he really is the villain he's not the lovable villain yeah he was still at that point where you you wanted to see the Hulk smash him around as he did puny god (laughs) Right. Yes. yes. But that, you know, that was the end of. Uh, we hadn't got to the point of um, you know any of the the latest stuff, the Ragnarok, yeah, uh, double act that he was playing, or uh, he hadn't he hasn't cast himself with Matt, with Matt Damon yet. None yes. of that's happened. <laughs> he still is the villain. Yeah. That you want that you want to hate. Yeah. So I think there was, there was a, still a little bit of, okay, that playfulness coming through that you, you like about him because he has to be. Yeah. But, um, and not only that, like the, the most difficult piece of heavy lifting they had to do was how do we uh, explain, set up the rules of time travel mm. in a universe where the whole wrap up to the Infinity Saga was a time heist. Right. So we've seen it all. Yeah. So to suddenly say, 
oh, you're, you're in trouble for time travel is is a tricky step. And I think they did a pretty good job of not hand-waving it too much when they said, oh, it was okay for the Avengers to do it. That was my, one that of was my favourite That bits. was allowed. Yeah. No, that was meant to happen. Yeah, yeah. In, in the timeline that they broke, that was what they were always going to do. So mm. that's fine. But you are not meant to be yeah. here. Oh, yeah. Captain America returning the Infinity Stones individually to their place of origin as as we promised we we were going to do to get them in the first place yeah um that that's he's allowed to do that but then go back across his own timeline and just live it out as an old man that's that's fine that's not against the rules well that was meant to happen because it's a happy ending because it yes. was meant to happen yes he needed to have that dance he wasn't yes. meant to be frozen in ice for that long and so, so if anything he's retconning his own storyline to be what it was meant to be right Loki you shit yeah and essentially you all mischievous <laughs> little imp well it's funny as well because all he really did was escape like it's not like he'd gotten up to anything no so he's like he's saying, it wasn't me they <laughs> Uh, they're the ones who left the tesseract there. I didn't even. I just took it. They yeah. had it. They stole it. Yeah, it's all that was was wonderful play anyway. In the fact that the the tesseract has also been taken out mm. by the fact that he 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 when he it's it's confiscated when he arrives and the clerk I don't know the character's name the one who said I'm going to gut you like a fish and the right. guy says what's, what's, what's a, a fish, fish? <laughs> I don't know it sounds really scary but I need to know the context of what you're threatening me with <laughs> funny line yeah um, but even when he says oh this is the tesseract and he explains what it is and the guy says sounds dumb yeah I was like great yeah and then you see they've got the drawer full of infinity stones oh they're like paperweights here again we're casting aside all that any fan could theorise on, well, why doesn't he just get another time stone and do yeah. this or whatever? We need to just say that they are pointless in the realm that he's in at the moment. Yeah, yeah. And as I mentioned to you very briefly last night, the fact that it's he's now set up as this character, this um, maverick uh, runaway fugitive with his magic blue box yeah. is like a, a not a direct reference to Doctor Who but for anyone who likes the the Stephen Moffat era where it was simplified as being he's he's a madman with a box right uh, a blue box I quite liked that as a little felt like a little shout out yeah or something that I'd never connected the dots on before right and it was the getting back to the fast forwarding through his history mm-hmm. to get him to the point that we need him to be just such a clever move as well like it just it just gets a lot of that stuff out of the way it was funny they pretty much showed us they showed us a little bit of him being an arsehole but it also showed us him being quite funny in the avengers as well when he suggests i'll have that drink so it's kind of oh look it was always there and and the captain america yeah morphing as well um i think that at the start of it there was a little bit I had a feeling of it. It feels like it's one of those best of episodes that you'd see on like old any, any TV shows still do it now. Yeah, but that idea of you have that filler episode where it's like looking back and reminiscing. Remember that time when? Yeah. So there was a touch of that at the start, but again, it's all important and also for him to see his future. Yeah. To justify why he's happy to stay in the here and now and and see what happens and give him that motivation and uh and that world is 
like it's a really nice amalgamation of you know futuristic and then anachronistic kind of equipment. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it looks so cool, and you know even the even the film of him watching his life, which kind of looks high tech, and then just <laughs> at the end, end. end of tape, yeah, Not file tape, yeah, yeah, because it's you've got to be careful when you when you. Um, when you set anything up in in any kind of sci-fi fantasy, which this is, hmm. that you have to be very careful of of date stamping it almost too much, because for the time travel authority, you have to look at well, yeah, where are they in this timeline? And you know, that's one of the things that Star Wars did very well was you you had this feeling of oh, it's. It's a sci-fi. Whenever you think sci-fi, you think futuristic. Yeah. But it very clearly states it happened a long, long time ago in a galaxy far away. Yeah. So same with this. It's like any anything that would show futuristic stuff. Um, you know, in like early, like the the day the Earth stood still or something. Right. It's all still. It literally. It's literally a flying saucer that comes. When it was the <laughs> 1950s. That's what we thought. Yeah. Space was. I remember not seeing anything like you'd see now with the sort of like Minority Report was probably the first time you saw pinching and zooming on something and swiping. Yeah. Long before that was even, I think, technology that we knew was was available to us. Yeah. And now that's all commonplace. So you have to be careful about something that feels very futuristic now. Like I look back at, yeah, stuff from the. 60s and 70s sci-fi and everything's still like Star Trek everything still switches yes. and buttons there's yes. no touch screens or anything that all comes later in the 90s so um, the fact that it's quite an uh, anachronistic where it's like an old school ticker tape machine yeah or, or computer but it has this 3D hologram model that's playing out on the screen yeah is a wonderful mix that I think is very well thought out. Keep, it keeps it, uh, pardon the mild pun, timeless, and therefore yeah. we don't feel like it gets lost. You take, know, take a number, yeah. like, and the guy goes, what, is this like a deli? Yeah. But then if you don't take a number, you get zapped, zapped with something we've never seen before that seems to atomise you in an instant. Look, Thomas Hillison, uh, I think I've underestimated his ability on the double take. Like, I still to this day think Santo Cholaro is the master of the double take, but uh, Tom Hillison's quite good at it. And look, um, who would have expected that we'd get a bit of nude nude Tom in the first five minutes of this. Oh, there'll be some Loki fans out there who will be wrapped with that. Yeah. You know what's really fascinating about the two or the three series that we've watched so far is they seem to be making the movies that are the least enjoyable relevant. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like suddenly Age of Ultron feels like it's got all these yeah, important Yeah, which I'm still mad points. about. Right. Because it shouldn't be. No, it's the one that I think everyone can sort of say, yeah, it wasn't great. And a it, lot of the the... Thor films until oh. obviously till Taika came in and injected some humour into it. Right, were probably the least stable of the foundations of yeah. for the Avengers. I I have a soft spot for the first one because I think the first one it's a it's a really you forget how tricky it is to pull off, and I think Branagh giving it some Shakespearean overture overtures is a, a smart move, and it's not it's not brilliant. But I think it's a really solid start. But I think the second one is just so flaccid yeah. that you it kind of retrospectively makes you go, oh, that first one wasn't as good. Whereas, and then it gets reworked. But now, like, there's all these important plot points from the second one. But it's good because I think it means, oh, you know what I don't need to do? 
watch those movies again because you've given me the plot points that are important. Yep. And now, I I enjoyed like right from the get go. I think there's a it's a great sense of nostalgia to go. Yeah, we're going to start with you know here we are in the in the past as we kind of did for Infinity War. Yep. Or Endgame really to sort of show you this flashback and here's where we are, which again so now we're sort of diving into Endgame, which was diving into uh, the Avengers, the first yeah. Avengers film. And then uh, you're diving now with the Loki series into what is a film that was diving within a film. It's, yeah. it's very meta, super meta. But then for him to come out and just setting out that idea of you know, him falling through the floor every time in such yeah. a comical way, <laughs> him, again, handing over the Infinity, St- Infinity Stone to some clerk at a desk who's like this is dumb going through the obviously the bit that we'd seen in the trailer of you know can you verify this is everything you've ever said and every (laughs) time he says says something it's printed out again (laughs) i love the screen of like can you can you say that you're a robot right and he says no i'm not and then says well why what happens if i am and the the guy says oh the the thing will disintegrate you and then he goes to walk through and beautiful comic timing where he stops and goes wait a minute what if i am a robot but i just don't know that i'm a robot So, which is how I feel every time I go to answer one of those tests on the internet when you go to when you go to order something or submit a form and it just says, "Are you a robot?" I'm like, if I miss one of the traffic signs on this, am I? Am I a robot? And I don't even know. This is what happens when you're a fan of Blade Runner. You're always constantly uh, questioning true. your own existence. Uh, it felt a little bit like Brazil that moment with all the yeah. red tape and yeah. uh, that that Terry Gilliam kind yeah. of aesthetic uh, and and the comedy part of it as well and it's uh it, like it's a heavy on exposition episode which i'm guessing like you have to you have to be heavy on the exposition for this and i'm guessing we'll really roll into the episodes from here so where do you think at, at this early stage if i'm not jumping ahead no w- what do you think is going to be the major story arc here now that we've had this pilot episode which has set up the world as they always do right so it seems he's been employed because the only person who can stop loki is loki right i don't reckon it's loki it feels like that's too obvious right even though i know again people are going oh devil horns it's mephisto again yeah because we want that to happen so bad look i'll be honest this was wandavision but you won't fall us now (laughs) yeah why do you keep putting up the devil why are you doing that to us it's also like yeah remember and also what he used to his outfit used to have the horns on there too um yeah it still seems like that's again too obvious and i don't know that that sustains a full series does it I don't think so. I feel like that's the thing that sets everything into motion and then it's going to be a reveal of some sort. Once again, the projections that we did with WandaVision, which a lot of them were wrong, (laughs) like completely wrong, which I'm fine with. I I just enjoy theorising where it might go. But I, the one thing that I did feel slightly burnt on was getting, getting Evan Peters to play a version of Quicksilver and yeah. to not have anything to do with it. Like, it, it wasn't funny enough to, to, oh, you got me, and it was, it just felt a bit, well, if you've gone to the trouble of getting Evan Peters, I just feel like it needs a slightly better payoff. Yeah, that's what it was. And it didn't, it didn't have to be, it is Quicksilver. No. From an alternate multiverse or something. But just to go... No, he's actually he's actually just a guy. So yeah. Evan Peters is playing just some random 
actor like everybody else in the series who gets cast yeah. as someone in the world of WandaVision felt, yeah, a, a bit deflating. Yeah. When it could have been something. It's like, I'm going to make you a chocolate cake, and you go, this is great, and then you get to it, and it's carob, and you go, well, like... Or gluten-free. And look, I'm not going <laughs> to... Yes. I'm not going to dunk on anyone who's gluten intolerant. No. But you know it's, it's not the same. It's just there not is the a, same. It's a very specific consistency that you don't even have to tell me something's gluten-free. When I bite, I'm like, this is like a very dense, like one of those really dense protein bars or something. Right. Where like, I, my, my jaw is about to fall off. It yeah. is so weary from eating, chewing I, on this. I'm happy because of your situation to pretend that I'm enjoying this. Exactly. But deep down... You know I'm, I'm going back to the real thing when I I'm slightly here. disappointed. <laughs> but thank you for this soy milk as well. Well, the, one of the things that I had, uh, which gets to your question, is... So, Kang the uh, Conqueror is meant to be the villain in yeah. the next Ant-Man. So, is this possibly uh, a moment where we get introduced to him? The, the Timekeeper's logo looks a little bit like... And this could just be, you know, we project these things all the time. But it looks a little bit like the Kang mask. So could sure. this be him getting up to mischief and, yeah, and leads into that? Could be. And again, we're still looking for, um, you know, possible Fantastic Four ways of getting them in too. Yeah, so that could you know, be Kang's interesting. Kang's kind of has, has, a, has a link with them. But I don't know. I, I still don't know whether there is going to be... a a big, big bad, like we like same thing as One Division. Yeah, you know, it might just be. Yeah, look, maybe it is just low key, and it's something about you know finding that you know resolving something in your own self for you know. I often think that like if you went back in time and met young you, yeah, I'd be saying you, enjoy w- that hair, mate. <laughs> enjoy that hair while you've got it. <laughs> While, while the other version of you is like, oh my god, what has happened? What has happened? Jesus, do you work in a mine? Are you digging coal now? What's happened to you? Yeah, and you're just like, like, it's just you hit your forties and you just need to sleep more, mate. Just remember that. Just more. That, that'd be my. That's. I, I feel at some point I have gone back in time to myself and just went, look, just moisturize, kid. That's all I can do. Just tell you. moisturize. Just fucking moisturize. Young that's me all would be. Do. Young me would be like, ah. Oh, so you obviously get out of comedy and get a real job. I'm like, no, 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 no. Still living the dream, mate. <laughs> Just turns out the dream uh, wears yeah. you down yeah. after a while, because because um, I, I feel there's a bit of that. Like one of the other takeaways from it for me, yeah. was this idea of um, agency and uh, fate, or, yes. or free will and and destiny. So yes. when he's like, well, like looking at his own future and saying, well, I can just go fix that, and, and the idea is, well, no, you can't. Then you start having that rather um, out of body experience of like, okay, well, is there anything I can do? So, you know, if I hit you over their head right now with a hammer, does it change? Do I put myself on a different timeline, or yeah, or is that all inevitable because my out me because me hitting you on in the head was always going to happen anyway. You having this conversation with me led me to do X, which leads me to always have the same outcome no matter what. So to have a God, yes. a man who says, I am I am a God, yeah. not the king of space, I'm a God. God, yeah. Um, have this idea of, well, no, you, you 
don't have any agency, you don't have any free will, it's all predetermined, which is usually what the gods are renowned for doing. Like, that's a lot of Greek mythology and all yeah. that is them being the master puppeteers. I thought it was a really nice thing to throw back at someone who sees themselves as, as being this omnipresent being. And, and yeah, being beyond all of this kind yeah. of stuff and being reduced to being a bit player. I guess it is like if you were reading all of the Loki comics, in... In that world, he's making decisions, right, mm-hmm. that move him forward. But from our perspective, which is higher, we can flip back and forth. So I, I guess he still has agency, doesn't he? You'd think so. Because he's still making the decisions. We're just in a position where we can check how those decisions play out. Yeah. Is that how it works? I like, think so. Uh, yeah. And this is this is part of it too. Like This is where there's a lot of um, media stories, films, television shows, comic books that have dealt with time travel in mm. various shapes and forms. Um, there's a lot of great Nolan stuff that, that covers it, obviously, and sci-fi fantasy series and things like, as, as for myself, a, a fan of Doctor Who, one of the things they kind of deal with early or used to deal with was you, you can't there are fixed points in time where no yeah. matter what you do doesn't change it um, I can't go back over my own timeline and change anything because the idea is you know if this character nearly dies they can regenerate well you just say well ne- when you regenerate go back in time and stop yourself from dying last time and you can extend that a bit longer right. surely right you know hey Tom Baker don't climb to the top of that um, satellite <laughs> tower just don't do that simple as that <laughs> so you have to set up when you're dealing with time travel what the rules are so that the result isn't just, well, if this goes horribly wrong, like one of those choose-your-own-adventure books I used to read as a kid and I get to the page that says the end, I'll just go back and yeah. take, take the alternate path to make sure I get a better outcome. Right. So I feel like they've done that with this so that maybe it really is just low-key going back and stopping himself from committing all these atrocities so, but in some respects you go why would he feel the need to do that and he had a woke moment during this I feel yeah well he had to, yeah, he's, he's humbled he's humbled and he said yeah look you know I'm not really as great as I think I am it's only because I'm a bit sad and lonely that's why I do these things I lash, I lash out yeah well you know I would have enjoyed uh, and this is getting back to is he the ultimate villain or not because if he, if he is the ultimate villain then is he a Loki from a different timeline or is he are we going to see him degenerate and become awful and then have his younger self well, come that's and it. stop then it? You're gonna, like, then you're going to fuck with your own outcome. Right. So that's why I feel like it can't be it it's, can't be Loki. Sure. That's, that's, and, and look, then maybe it is Kang. Like, it just depends on how, how much work has to be done with bringing in another character. Right. That, that is, you know needs to be introduced and set up when you're already dealing with you know if, if time travel's not your bag yeah there's a lot if you, going if you've on. come from falcon and winter soldier going oh thank god they just went back to kicking punching and blowing shit up yeah <laughs> oh and and smashing people in public places with a shield yeah and that to suddenly go into this which is a very it can be very twisty can yeah. you know y- your brain can take a bit of time to sort of have to understand it my wife for example does not deal well with time travel stories. Really? Because of the whole what they call bootstrap paradox, or, or which is otherwise known as the time traveler's paradox. Right. So in a nutshell, the idea is 
for her, but there has to be that first time. There was the first time where it didn't go the way that we expected. Right. So if if you're a fan of the genre, here's the example. There's a knock at a door. Someone opens the front door and there's a, a book in front of them that says how to make a time machine. Right. So the guy reads this book and learns how to make a time machine and it takes him years and years and years and years and years and lots of tests and finally makes this time machine and then says, well, now what do I do? I've discovered time travel and then realizes, oh, I have to go back in time and give myself the book to teach myself how to time travel. That's why I created this time machine so I can go back and teach myself how to time travel. That's all well and good in a loop. Yeah. But at some point, who was the first to knock on the door with the book? Or at some point, there was a version where there was no knock at the door. Yeah. So who was the first one to just invent it without it becoming this loop? Right. That's what my wife struggles with. And where is that version where once you're in the loop, fine, tenant, fine. Yeah. But there was the version where it didn't, that didn't happen and where everything didn't go the way you wanted. And then what? Well, she is correct to wonder about that. <laughs> but that's my thing. Is don't don't think about that. Just don't. You, you have when you when you go to see anything involving time travel, you have to set that part of your brain aside and just trust that this is the Doctor Strange. This is the one in however many yes. billion chances, and we're just going with that. And we're going to go with that. Yes. You know the. Uh, I wonder if if you do have Kang the Conqueror as the villain, it then, you know, the Ant-Man movies have been well-received, but they're, you know, lower in, in the Marvel cosmology of where those movies sit. But then Endgame, he becomes, like, the most important. Suddenly, Pim Particles, are, you know, we should have been looking at them the whole time. Right, you know, and the the, the moment of the rat that brings uh, <laughs> yeah, Scott well, Lang back. Exactly. Let's not forget how important that rat was. Right, Chewing on be, some wires and he, walking across a dashboard and a, there and you go. That's, uh, so I wonder if you then, through Loki, who was a popular character, and if you introduce Kang and then you discover Kang's going to be in the next Ant-Man film, you, it's another little... Yeah, I'm still, I'm still trying to work out if the job of any of these Disney Plus shows mm. is to link directly with the movies. Yeah, so WandaVision goes into the next Doctor Strange. Yeah. The, Winter, uh, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier becomes the next Captain America movie. Yeah, so the idea that when you see the next Captain America movie, Sam's the new yeah. Cap. Well, you might if you've if you've seen either of the if you've seen the show mm. makes sense, but if not, well, at the end of Endgame, he got the shield anyway. Yes, so, so all can... it's doing is filling in the gap for you. Yeah. But the idea of suddenly there's if you go to see Ant Man and the Wasp and you don't have Disney Plus, suddenly there's a villain that everyone's meant to know. Right. Yeah. Like, does it does it work that way? I think feeding from the films back into TV with well, here's a little side adventure. Yeah. Works. Um, it's Rogue One in Star Wars or something. Um, But it's not like if you haven't watched Star Wars Rebels, the animated series that you... That means you can't see the next Star Wars film because it won't make sense to you. Yeah, absolutely. Or like Mandalorian, like that's... Mandalorian's a great show if you're a fan of Star Wars and it fits into a certain spot. Right. But I think when the next Star Wars film comes... It's not going to be, well, wait a minute, who's this Mandalorian and what's this Baby Yoda character? Right. Grogu, my apologies, I refuse to call it <laughs> He'll that. always be Baby Yoda, Matt. Yeah, uh, I refuse to acknowledge that name. <laughs> uh, so, 
there's also a possibility that it's another villain. Yes. And there, uh, I don't know if you had, uh, you know, done any uh, research on this, but it was interesting. There was uh, a couple of mentions of the word uh, nightmare. You know, oh, this place is a nightmare. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, no, that's another department. Mobius refers to uh, nightmare being in some other place. And the caricature on the chewing gum that's left behind looks a little bit like the face on it looks a little bit like nightmare and nightmare oh, I hadn't looked at that yeah it was just a it's so i just saw quick. that as just it's a little piece of as an anachronistic plot of like this is very 50 like 1950s 50s, yeah. kind of bubble gum yeah and a lot of that sort of stuff that would be advertising comic books. Oh yeah, so it was yeah. A sort of, I, was, I hadn't sort of looked at, at any of the imagery on it. Like it's it's so brief and it does. It looks like the kind of chewing gum that you would have found in adverts alongside sea monkeys yes. and the Rick Barry Doctor J X-ray specs. Yeah, <laughs> I wanted X-ray specs so bad. So bad. Look, now, if anyone listening to this ever did buy X-ray specs. Oh, yeah. Can you let us know? Let us know. I'm sure right up until like the the 80s, it was still possible. And then I think they did a retrofied version, but I was like, no, 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 no. Don't, no, I want- don't go back and give me what it is now with the new technology. I want to know what it was back in the day that they were claiming to do. And if I bought a pair of these, surely it did something. It couldn't have just been you put them on and nothing happens because surely then... Then, there would have been a money back guarantee or right. maybe not back then. Customer service probably didn't exist back Imagine then. Imagine if someone gets in touch with us and they've got these horrible radiation burns because they were straight from the 50s and it's like, oh, yeah, put these on. You'll be able to see through people's clothes. And after a while, never again. You know, <laughs> It's like staring at a solar eclipse for 30 minutes. <laughs> but you'll see stuff. Yeah, no wonder. I'm so, seeing white spots everywhere. So maybe it could be Nightmare. Could be. Uh, could be. Who's such a kind of... Like, that's a Doctor Strange villain. Uh, And Marvel kind of likes to get on top of DC stuff before DC does it. So, you know, like Thanos... Thanos, In the comics, Thanos was... Is Darkseid. Is Darkseid. Who I think Darkseid's better anyway. Yes. But, yeah, I'm I'm a DC guy. I think Ben's like that. Ben Elwood's... He... Yes. I, I always feel like I was reading the wrong comics when I was... Yeah, you had a choice... A VHS or beta choice. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, or were you, you know, the Stones or the Beatles or whatever. Yeah. And, and you were listening to the monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> listening to the monkeys. So I was all in on DC. Yeah. I sort of dipped my toe into the to the Marvel waters when I was deeply into comic books. Yeah. Um, but when I just sort of had to start pairing back a bit, I just went with the DC titles. Yeah. And for a while there, that was the way to go, obviously. Oh, you yeah, know, there's been you know, shifts and... Uh, you know, it was Superman and Batman were the most iconic ones. It wasn't like Spider-Man was on the big screen in a major way or no. any of that stuff. Most of that went to TV. And then yeah. now I'm looking at it just going, ah, shit. Yeah. And Thanos. You're like, yeah, but Darkseid. I know. He was... It's disappointing. less scrotal. Oh, like very less scrotal. And it's disappointing because, you know, we, we banged on about the Zack Snyder movie, the ups and downs of that film. But yes. reducing Darkseid and his minions to looking like Thanos' uh, team in, yeah. uh, you know, in the 
Infinity War and Endgame is so disappointing because they were they're such rich characters. It's like you know, Desaad shouldn't be looking like he could have a fight. Desaad should look like that awful Nazi in in Raiders of the Lost Ark. You yeah, know, yeah, in a corner sniveling, sniveling guy. Yeah. yeah, always got a cold, wiping <laughs> his hands on shit causing trouble left, right and centre. That's kind of what those characters should be. They're so rich and then they're just reduced to, look at me, I am CGI. (laughs) Um, So I wonder, you know... DC's finally got a Sandman movie coming out and uh, and stuff like that. And you just go, Marvel's like... Look, that's Sandman's great, great, but we're going to get him first and we're going to do Nightmare. And when Sandman comes out... The general public will go, oh, I can't believe they just ripped off Marvel. And exactly. It's like, motherfucker. Exactly, right? <laughs> and they're so ahead of the game. Like you say, look, we're now at a point of, uh, we've mentioned this before, like Scarlet Witch is now a big character. Like yeah. Ant-Man yeah. has his own movie franchise. Yeah. Like, there's this third you know, film coming up. Yeah, and you can bring in whatever level tier character you want, or villain as yeah. well, and... And they're going to fit right in because the momentum's behind you. Yeah. Whereas DC still can't land their main characters. Yeah. In like the Justice League or anything like that. Have so you seen the... you still can't get Batman right or Superman, let's be honest. Oh, man. Superman in the modern era is just still a bit of a lead balloon. Uh, they just... Then how are you expecting to just drag in any villain that you want? Yeah, and, and make something interesting. Have you, Just as a side note, have you been reading uh, the... Uh, gossip from Warner Brothers about the new Batman film where they're a bit worried that it's too dark. <laughs> oh, because everyone got COVID on it? Not that, not for that reason? <laughs> no, no, they're fine with that. <laughs> COVID's that, fine, Is mate. that why? Yeah. Um, he, yeah, he had the mask the wrong way around. It was protecting every bit than the part he wanted to around his <laughs> yeah. face, um, around his mouth. And no, I haven't. Too dark. Yeah, that's Because Joker was such a failure for them, not that it kind of fits into a DC universe, but still. You know, it's just that there is, you know, the Kevin Feige is the uh, the mastermind. Yeah. And uh, he doesn't always get it right, but he knows how to course correct. And is the person you can go to to say, where are we going with this? Yeah. And where does it fit? And is the keeper of the keys for all of it? Yeah. And that, yeah, that's where I think... Or DC's a bit rudderless because I don't know who, they, who they, that is. They just don't quite know where they're going. Um, had you come across the TVA before in the comics? Because they're kind you know, of abstract. They're abstract, and I have, and also uh, a bit more. I was going to say a bit more played for laughs, mm. but so too is this in a way. Like there, there was a real nice touch of humour there. Like when Loki was using the the same device that would sort of <laughs> yeah. you know, make him just keep jumping back. Yeah. Um, that when he was starting to use that on on the cops was was a nice moment. Um, so yeah, I, I I don't know their full backstory. Yeah, I have sort of seen them in there, but yeah, only as sort of when it, minor characters. I, but I love the idea of it. Yeah, the first time that uh, I think they turned up, I'm pretty certain it's the first time they turned up was in Walt Simonson's run on Thor, which is that legendary run. Mm-hmm. And I remember I've seen them connected with Thor. Yeah, yeah, and I kind of remember. Uh, when the f- characters first came along, it was like uh, a little bit th- of their riff on Judge Dredd and all the judges. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, it turned into uh, a little bit of a uh, tribute to the legendary comic writer Mark Grunewald, uh, who has uh, who who died uh, a while ago. But he wrote a lot of great comics, and he was a big continuity freak. And so, because the TVA are about essentially continuity. Uh, 
they gave the characters uh, Mark's moustache, which is what Owen Wilson's wearing. So there's a little ah. there's a little moustache Easter egg, which is quite cute. Always always love a moustache Easter egg. Yeah, <laughs> more uh, please. What I do like about the TVA is the uh, is the reset. Yeah. So they don't just come in and extract like when they even just take Loki out of the desert at yeah. the start. Um, it's the they, they reset everything, so yeah, it's not. Well, we'll take him out because even just him having been there and interacted with anybody sends a ripple effect. Right. So the fact that there is a... Um, uh, that's what I've always liked about them is yeah. that they, they clean up the mess afterwards as well. Yeah. It's not just we'll, we'll stop him from making it any worse. Um, but was also there was a reference to in, in the... Um, instructional video, which you know, like Jurassic <laughs> yeah. Park, does yeah. a great job of just doing all the heavy lifting. Oh man, like they they do a really good job with a, a, an episode that is seventy five percent exposition. Like yeah. thank goodness for those little tricks and Owen Wilson and Tom but Hiddleston. With two things, one uh, the less important one is when they're showing you know all these entities, all these people sort of travelling on their timeline and the idea that if you split off into a different multiverse, that's wrong and so you have to come back. One of the characters was a beaver, which oh, was, yeah. was a little animated beaver. So <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, the pressure's on for all living creatures. Who is, who is this beaver? And what, what does this beaver do to earn... <laughs> And the you know the wrath of of the time police by yeah. going off on some <laughs> some multiverse uh, antics from chewing on the wrong tree or something to make his dam, but it mentioned that there was uh, so we don't start another multiverse war. Yeah, which I thought was interesting to kind of you yeah. Know, any suggestions of what those might be the fact that uh, this character whether it's Loki or Kang or whoever yeah. Has uh, had six. There's been six incidents. Yeah, so far. So whether that's where we're going for the run of the series is to each of these to sort of fix them and repair them. Yeah. Um, in which case you can be chasing this person, and so we don't know who it is till the end. Right. What if it is Loki, and he just realised that that is his favourite type of gum, and he was scared. Like he changed history and he realized if we reset i'm gonna lose this gum so the whole thing is about him if you're chewing a gum that turns your mouth blue (laughs) like i didn't realize it was like stained at first i thought they like she had something blue in her mouth yeah like a like like a chip or something which and then it was gum it sounds like something out of harry potter doesn't it like you chew this gum (laughs) that makes your mouth change color yeah but it's like um, you've gone down on a smurf (laughs) that was my next guess yeah but makes you think, yeah, that's probably what it was back then. Like, if you had anything that was coloured, it would probably just had food colouring in it. Yeah. And then if you if you <laughs> yeah. put that in your mouth, it just made your mouth go yeah, a different you, colour. Yeah, your teeth dropped down, you put on the x-ray specs yeah. and your eyes burnt out. <laughs> How good with the 50s, you know? <laughs> and suddenly you got radiation poisoning. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, uh, it, it could just be that. Like, maybe it's it's him just sort of chasing himself and going, oh, yeah, I... I I realised this was actually maybe what I needed to do and I stand by all my decisions now. And it's more like what happens at the end. Like he's have, He has to go back into his own timeline or something. Well, and to live out the rest of his life because that's... As, as he was. So this is, I guess, after this, the next time we would see him, he is on Asgard as... As the as Odin. As Odin in yeah. disguise, watching the play of, yeah. of how wonderful he is. Which... Again, we, as much as we were mentioning earlier, he, taken out of 2012, 
is nasty low-key, mm. and then the next time we do see him is... Oh, is, well, he's bringing in the Dark Elves. Oh, sorry. And, and, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. That's and, true. And looking like he's been killed there and using that as uh, a way to use subterfuge to get the throne. So, so he's still so we, a bad guy. Yeah, so we could fill in those gaps, but the idea of him being slightly more playful, yeah. um, impish, I suppose, is, a, is like more mischievous, which is what he is. Yeah. Um, you know what that, I would that would that would make sense how they they can bridge that gap using this series to do it. Yeah, you know what I would like more of is I really enjoyed the DB Cooper idea, yeah. and that made me laugh so I've been much. Fascinated with that story before too. I, I, I like little, oh yeah, like I, it is a fascinating story. Yeah, and and really did happen. There was a guy hijacked a plane, yeah. got cash, yeah. jumped out. No one knows who the person was. Yeah. To this day. To this day. theory. But, uh, like, you know, they don't know if he jumped out and where he jumped out of the plane it fell to his death or... But there hasn't yeah. been a body for... Do you know that for a long time, uh, when Mad Men was originally on, there was a theory that Don Draper was... It was going to finish and he was essentially D.B. Cooper. Wow. And he was going to just... You know what? Jump I've had enough of, of this leap out of a plane. <laughs> and it was always such a... Like that was, you know what Mad Men is an underrated series for projecting what the fuck is going to happen. But isn't isn't there someone involved in Mad Men who's creating this as well? There's a link between Mad Men and and Loki. There's a one of the producers or directors or writers on it. Oh, I don't know that. Yeah, maybe you're right about that. I didn't know about that. Yeah, well, that would possibly where the DB Cooper comes stuff yeah, comes in. Yeah, yeah, maybe. But the once again, it's a it's a nice little it's a throwaway line. But it is uh, an important line, which is, I, I lost a bet with Thor, which <laughs> it, it tells you, uh, you weren't always an arsehole. There were times when you guys were getting along and you had a bet. And then Thor said, well, you can't steal money from a plane, yeah. you know, and he went and did it. I'd, I'd be quite happy to see little flashbacks to shit he's gotten up to in the past because he is a trickster. Yeah. And he is mischievous like what what has he been getting up to and yeah like him being responsible for enough like the titanic or something oh yeah you know like because uh well oh look that's it's a very convoluted story but like the fact that it could have all been averted because they didn't have binoculars in the crow's nest and one of the other ships heard their distress call but said we're not going to come yeah because because we just we think you're fine you'll be fine yeah. another ship can get you so the ones that were further away meant that people couldn't have been rescued so all of that you could put him in different locations without it being too diabolical yeah or you know maybe it's the person it's not like you're saying oh Ha ha ha! He was Jack the Ripper, right? You know, and that's why no one knows who Jack yeah. the Ripper was. And then you was. go, Jesus! Like, there, there, is, there are a lot of murdered women here, but yeah. that's okay. It's not so playful. Well, you know, the, the, in his, uh, you know, there's that little form that comes out that tells you about him, and it and it says that he's gender fluid. So maybe he's Loki is a woman, <laughs> and and, and on you I'm know, very progressive on, on the Titanic, flirting with a guy who's meant to be on lookout. You know, oh god! And if it's the if it's the movie version of the Titanic too, would be great. Yeah, <laughs> have you? Um, did you ever read uh, the comics when uh, so you know Ragnarok happens on a relatively regular basis in the comics and it's it's almost like a moment of rebirth and then the Norse gods come back at one point Loki comes back as a kid and he's and Thor is mentoring him because he's kind of like you know nature versus nurture and it's a 
stunning version of the character. It's like one of those things where you go, oh, here we go. And then you <laughs> read it and you go, wow, this, it's really disappointing when he eventually becomes a grown-up again because Kid Loki is, he doesn't want to end up like that. Mm. But he is naturally a bit mischievous and, mm-hmm. and a little bit, you know, you know, chaotic good maybe mm. so and there's Thor believing in him and thinking I can actually help him grow up to be a better version of himself and everyone else going mate he's caused Ragnarok like nine times like let's, <laughs> let's do something well, to with your this point, kid if that's if that's what it ends up being that it really is only him that's no for me no less satisfying than Agnes being what was the big reveal yeah. in WandaVision yeah. where you kind of saw that's where it was heading a lot of fan speculation was was headed that way and if if you were just a casual viewer which let's be honest that's what this is for too. this isn't for those who want who know all the backstory and canon and have read all the comic books or deep dive on the internet between episodes yeah it's mainly for people who just watch and then watch next week. Yep. So the characters need to be set up and any big reveal, it can't be bum, 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 it's Mephisto and then anyone who's never read the comic books and only watched the TV show and movies going, yeah. huh? what? <laughs> who? Who's that? So who was Quicksilver? I don't yeah. get this. Yeah. Um, so if that's all it ends up being with, with Loki, I think that's fine because that's still a very satisfying idea, like you're saying, yeah. of him then becoming a mentor to himself at the same time i'm very aware that at this very early stage it's just assumed or implied this idea of him going oh it's me that's why you've got me to solve this because it's me right yeah and and um the mobius character going yeah yeah we haven't been shown that yeah it's just this assumption that has been validated by just those people. We we didn't. There was no reveal at the end of the episode of whoever lit the fire revealing the hood and right. And it it's confirming that. Maybe it's the Matt Damon Loki. Damn, <laughs> that'd be sweet. Now we're talking. <laughs> now we are talking. I tell you what, I really enjoyed Owen Wilson in this. I thought he was yeah, great. Yeah, he was great. Yeah, wonderful and and subtle, which is great. Um, uh. Wanmi uh, Masaku, I think is how you say her name, yeah. who played the the main cop who was getting caught trying to grab him. Yeah. And he kept, you know, zapping her back. I thought she was going to. I was hoping because she was mid punch when he zapped her that she was going to end up zapped back in front of the clerk or something. Oh right, yeah, or somewhere <laughs> else where she ends up connecting the punch on someone else. Yeah, on that clerk would have been a nice a nice little mix. But she was in uh, Lovecraft. Yes, country. Among other things, but if anyone who's listening to this hasn't seen that show, I highly recommend it. It's very I've got much to get along back to it. I, I saw the first two, and then you know when you end up in a busy yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. period, and then uh, just lost the rhythm with it, and I. I think I want to go back and start yeah. it from the, the yeah. beginning again. Um, but yeah, great. And Owen was great. wasn't was too so wasn't too Owen Wilson with it all, which is great. Yeah, it's still him and yeah. still bringing that aesthetic he brings as an actor. But you know, even the talky talky talky, you know, <laughs> like it wasn't too over the top. It was all still within the confines of that world. It's um, it also interesting when he shows uh, Agent Coulson being murdered, and it's like, oh, okay, so. It, they do it in a vague enough way that they don't invalidate seven seasons of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yes. But 
they also don't validate it either. They just kind of mention it. And if you invested in those seven seasons, well, you know that Coulson lived and had all these adventures. And But, you know, the way uh, uh, Mobius turns around is, yeah, you know, how'd that work out for yeah. you? You know, kind but of But also implies. just good because they do need to set up. This isn't playful, uh, Yeah, you do. again, um, endgame Ragnarok uh, Loki. Yeah. That at that point became just a bit of a... More of a, a light-hearted, like a fun character. The guy, the guy that you did almost root for in a way. Yeah, and you, you have know. to remember well, he- yeah, the, the guy that you were you were hoping would want to always play. Get help. We're going to play. Get get help. Right. Um, this needs to still be. Yeah. This this guy's still dangerous. Yeah. At, at the point where we've extracted him. I think that just reinforced that quite nicely. Yeah, no, I thought all of that was so well done. Uh, there's a little bit... I, I did have to question, how did he know that there was a heist going on? Uh, a time heist? Yeah, because he said when they said... Uh, when he raised the point of, oh, uh, that was the Avengers, was that based on I could smell two Tony Starks? Oh, yeah, on the, uh, on could, the cologne. The cologne of two Tony, Tony Starks, <laughs> so from that I've worked out. Well, I mean, if my sense of smell was that that good... That if I smelt, like if you right now when I can smell two Rexona men's. Right. So either Rover's doubled down on the spritz today. Right. Or, or Sean or here is someone, using the same stuff. Someone who's recording <laughs> this is a time traveller. Right. Of me in disguise. Yeah. But again, I think that was all necessary to just, we need to get, all, we need to tidy all that up. Well, it's all fine. It's he does, been explained. Everyone calm down. He does see it happen. Like, he does see the That's person true. come down. Sure. He sees, uh, I think, uh, Ant-Man knock it. He does see Tony pick it up and start calling and then Hulk come and smack him. Yeah. And then, so I... I I guess he can go, oh, yeah, we'll he went to that Yeah, let's, yeah, let's not have to think that, sure. Well, the other thing is is that uh, we know Wanda is a Nexus being and that the sacred timeline branches out into Nexus events. Mm-hmm. Um is there a if if the villain's nightmare? Do you think there could be a connection there, or yeah. is that just? Yeah, again, they they explained how how all the timelines and potential multiverse yeah um uh, happens, I yeah. guess, uh, and, and how all of that can be splintered, which was in some respects covered in. Infinity War, mm. when the Hulk went to to New York, and was he's trying to having a chat with Tilda, trying to get the stone off off Tilda. So I would think that again, we don't need to go into that too deeply. So the yeah. fact that they did just to remind everybody how it works yeah. says to me there's maybe something that we're showing at our hand here a little as to as to where this might be going. Just a little reminder. Exactly. Just a little reminder. Um, just a couple of quick things before we wrap up. Uh, you know when the tape runs out on Loki's life, mm-hmm. you see the phrase uh, ETH-616 is there. Oh, and that's a reference that. to, uh, in the comics, uh, the Earth that we follow in the Marvel yeah, comics yes. is Earth-616. Sure. Uh, which was first coined by Alan Moore when he used to oh. write Captain Britain. So... I'm sure he's wrapped that more of his work is still out there. Look, I'll be very honest. I, I lose track as to which Earth is, is which. Uh, but yes, um, yeah, that's one of those things. If you're not into the comic books, there, there are multiple Earths and they are all individually yeah. numbered. Yeah. 
And it's Earth 616 because Fantastic Four came out in 61, I think, in June. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why he gave it that name. But, you know, Alan Moore, like, that guy is had such an influence. His, oh, his my work God. has, like, not only... Uh, infected uh you know modern storytelling and and pop culture but you know he made the guy Fawkes mask that uh that became popular through v for vendetta and that was taken up by anonymous he inspires a tv series of watchmen which talks about the tulsa riots which then has has this ripple effect of change in uh you know laws in america and you know, and then just in fun things like this, and it's so sad that he's just been so burnt by the industry that he he can't enjoy any of this yeah. effect that he's had. Yeah, and even uh, you know, as we talked about before, even his own work that's being honoured. Yeah, he refuses to sort of have any you know, part of it. I res- you know, I can't help but respect the guy. Yeah. You know, like I really respect him, but it, there's this part of you that's like, uh, no, I totally. Agree with he, everything. What he needs is a time cop to come in and make him go back over his own timeline and yeah, just appreciate fix that fucking uh, contract that he signs for. Do you Watchmen. know what? <laughs> but looking at that, like it's interesting. I always, as a kid, hadn't had um, this idea of when you die, that's what happens. Right. This idea that you sit down and you watch the movie of your life mm. uh, play out in front of you. So. Yeah, if you die, if you die and you're 100 years old, you're you're sitting and waiting for 100 years to watch it all. Right. Uh, and if you you know die as an infant, it's a very quick trip because right. I was I was raised uh, Catholic with this idea of there's uh, there's heaven, but there's a purgatory before heaven, like the waiting room before right. heaven. So that was what I thought. Well, that's what the waiting room is. So you have to watch through your life with the idea of from that you learn. Oh yeah, that was a bit shit. Should have done. Yeah. Oh, that was. Should, I probably should have done more of that good stuff. Yeah. And from that, you kind of weigh up your your life. Yeah. With uh, so watching this kind of gave me that sort of idea of imagine watching your own life back and having to because if you did, you go okay. Would you be cast as the villain in your own life story? Do you think or the hero? Or a supporting character. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like, it might not even be... A cameo. A cameo. It's like, oh, no. No, I guess and I not was... Not even a Matt Damon cameo. Mate, maybe I'm the Heather Locklear <laughs> of... Background of, extra. Of Melrose Place, you know, just a special guest each week. <laughs> the Justin Hamilton story with special guest star Justin Hamilton, Hamilton at the end of the credits. Ah, oh, this is a disaster. <laughs> I tell you what I would fast forward through is I would fast forward through all my moments that I had sex. Like, you know. Oh, you probably wouldn't have to, would you? Well, well, Life just did that for you? Well, I would just close my eyes. You know, if, if, if anyone's listening has ever been having sex and then accidentally caught their reflection, it's a fucking disappointing <laughs> moment in, in your life, <laughs> especially when you're alone. But the. <laughs> so, um, last question for you. Yes. You know when you watch a series like this and it feels like it ticks a lot of boxes of shit we're into, right? And then you watch it and you go, I hope the Doctor Who writers are watching <laughs> this. Do you, do you feel like... Because I, I sometimes get a little bit frustrated, more with modern Who, where it's like, I feel like lots of other things are taking the idea of time travel and doing slightly more interesting things with it. And you're the OG, so can you yeah, kind right. of update your... I mean, I, I think... I think you and I had this discussion with Legion. We watched the show oh, Legion, yeah. which was great. Yeah. And their final season Whew. did some time travel stuff. That yeah. was 
deep cut. <laughs> yeah. Which is also why that show has not been watched by a lot of people and is a bit of a fringe show. It was also presented in a in a very creative um, and original way that yeah. probably didn't resonate with a lot of people. But the, but the way they approached that that final season and and time travel was extraordinary. Yeah. Um, but you also have to, as as low key, they have to they have to present this on a very broad uh, platform, being yeah. a streaming service with Disney. Yeah. But they've done it in a way that still will have people going, "Whoa, this is." This yeah. is a bit of a, a head fuck. Right. And, yeah, I think uh, Doctor Who could learn from that. What was initially is probably still playing to its original roots, which was mm. when it was... It's it's 1963. This gives us the uh, background of being able to just drop this... Drop a story wherever we choose for it to be. Time travel was just you go forward, you go back. Mm. So it meant we could set this in outer space, mm. and that's, quote, the future... Although technically you could go back in time and still be in outer space, but mm. space just meant the future. Mm. Uh, or you go back in time and it's the Aztecs or the Stone Age or ancient Rome, and that was kind of it. It mm. was really just you go forward, you go back. There was no going sideways. Yeah, It wasn't until that idea of time travel became more sophisticated that they could start playing within the rules that they had set up. But right. by that stage, other people have caught up. Yeah, And now... I think you're right. People who are playing with this genre have kind of taken it to a different level. Yeah. I mean, things like the River Song character. Yeah. You know, who, the people who don't know, it's it's a, a, the, the, the main character of the Doctor has, there's another character called River Song. The two of them are both time travellers, but in going in opposite directions. Yes. So every time they meet, one of them knows the other better and the other knows them less. Yeah. Which is a fascinating yeah. Concept. But whether that resonates for a show like Doctor Who is where I think sometimes they, they can just put it out there. Right. But then they have to sort of pull back into just being, yeah, we, we're in outer space now. Yeah. Um, but even then, they fell into a trap in the most recent season, yeah, that went to air, which was now, geez, that was January of last year. Right. 2020. Um, where everybody's trapped on a plane at the end of the first episode. It's a big cliffhanger ending where uh, the Doctor's been zapped off the plane and all her Earth friends are about to die. And then the start of the next episode is suddenly there's a a sign on the ground that one of them reads saying, look up, and there's an instruction of what to do. And then he pushes play on a video and it's the Doctor saying, hi, it's me. I'm going to tell you how to land this plane. Mm. That at the end of the episode... When everything wraps up, the doctor says, oh, that's right, I have to go. There's something I have to do. Jumps in her time machine, goes and writes the note, goes and records the video, sets it up so it's sitting there waiting on the plane to rescue everybody because she remembers that's what she has to do, which is something you should just never do on a show like that. Right. Because where's the stakes now? Every week yeah. when something goes wrong, you go, you go back in time and you fix it. Yeah. As I was talking about before. And it was done in such a whimsical way of, oh, I've recorded this little safety video. Oh, that was fun, she says afterwards. Yeah. Didn't sit right for me. So I hope that there is somewhere in in the writer's room in Cardiff, Wales, that, that make Doctor Who... Uh, people who kind of look at some of these shows 
Because what you have to do would be the ones to go right. If we if we were writing a show for ourselves, we have to write it as if we're someone else making a different show that's trying to knock us off. Right. So how do we stay ahead of the game? How do we... No, no, we are the OG. We are the ones who will show this is how you do time travel stories and do it in, in a creative way. And granted, that show's been going for 60 years. Yeah, so, you know, like it's... But it's not like they've exhausted everything. No, no. It was... Uh... It was exciting when, the, you know, with the Capaldi episode with the spaceship that was so long that time was different. You're traveling and, into a black hole. Right. Exactly. And you so like, time travels faster at one end than it does at the other. Great. More of that, please. Yeah. yeah. So it will be interesting if we get this. And uh, you know what? Just very briefly, and we, uh, are you weirded out that all that stuff about the UFOs was leaked and then they put out all the papers saying, yeah, there's just stuff that we don't understand. And collectively, we all just went, Oh yeah, okay, no worries. And like, what, what, like, doesn't this feel like something that we would have been talking about every day for the next six months when we were younger? And now you just go, oh yeah, this shit you don't understand. I remember watching the, <laughs> like, when the Roswell uh, tapes came oh, yeah. out of the alien autopsy, yeah. and like, it felt like everybody watched. Yeah, it was it was one of the few things that was released day and date for everyone to watch at the same time. And no matter what you're, where you sit on, on how legit that is or isn't, um, I think we always knew that, like, all that Area 51 stuff mm. and everything, the idea that you know, it's all... It, there was always those conspiracy, seemingly conspiracy theorists out there who were saying, nah, there's more to it than that. But I just feel like, as human beings now in the modern world, we just all feel like, well, yeah, of course, we can't just be the only ones. That's ridiculous. Yeah, fair so enough. So when it's like, aha, we don't know everything... The rest of us are all like, it's like five years ahead going, were you, were you just catching up now? Where yeah, have mate, you been? Mate, I'm trying to get my COVID vaccinations. Yeah, so I don't have time for other this other planets. Shit. I'm in a different dimension now. Yeah. I'm looking at string theory and quantum physics. Yeah. What do you mean? Yeah, of course there's flying saucers, yeah. idiot. Yeah. Next. <laughs> it's so weird, isn't it? All right. I better let you go because you've got to get to the project, but I feel like we're going to be having fun with this one. Yes. I feel like it's going to have a lot to unpack and, you know, it's interesting to see where this series is going to be just, going. If it's, if it's anything like the, the first episode was, it could just be a fun, a fun romp. Yeah, you know, whether whether it gets too mind bendy or not, at the, at the moment I just really love the tone of it, and I love where they're headed. Yeah, no, I'm excited. Looking forward to talking uh, more about it over the rest of the series. This has been a very enjoyable pantomime, but I'd like to go home now. Bye. to Rove and Garth for joining me today. If you're enjoying their company on the podcast, please let them know on the socials. Rove is pretty easy to find, uh, like as if I need to tell you how to find Rove. But if you want to find Garth, his handle is PassTheAmmel on Twitter and Instagram. In fact, if you're enjoying any of my guests, please let them know on the socials. It is always nice to hear from people after you've recorded a podcast. Sometimes you can record podcasts and completely forget that you've done them, and then you get a nice message from someone, and it really makes your day, and I would appreciate it as well. No uh, pressure to do so. It's just if you have the opportunity. Uh, also, if you're enjoying the podcast, we'd love a top review on Apple Podcasts. If you're not listening to the rewatch of The Leftovers, so I do those episodes a little bit later in the week. Maybe you're not listening because you're not watching the series or you're not that into it or you just don't have time. Just a little heads up. This week's podcast is all about my favorite episode of 
any television series. Any. Of all the television series I've loved, this is my favourite episode of all time. So even if you're not re-watching The Leftovers or watching The Leftovers, if you just enjoy hearing me bang on about what I love, regardless of having no idea what I'm talking about, then I think you will get a kick out of this episode. Who knows? Maybe you'll listen to this and think, ah, maybe I'll go back and I'll start this. Anyway, it will be released in the next couple of days. Let's finish today with a quote from Neil Gaiman about the Norse god Loki. Neil said, He is tolerated by the gods, perhaps because his stratagems and plans save them as often as they get them into trouble. Loki makes the world more interesting but less safe. He is the father of monsters, the author of woes, the sly god. Until then. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.